You're listening to the Conversation Corner Podcast, your audio masterclass experience that highlights inspiring stories, thought-provoking ideas, and helpful life-changing tips from people around the world. Welcome back, Conversation Corner Podcast family. I am here today with a Dr. Shakir Abdullah. He has got a lot to tell you today. He's got a ton of golden nuggets, as I like to call them, to give to you today. So get a notepad and a pencil and get ready to take some notes. Sit back and listen, um, because we've got some great stories from you for you today. So to begin this thing, Dr. Abdullah, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, Christoph, thank you for the invitation. Um, was really uh, excited to have the opportunity to speak with you all on the uh uh, Conversation Corner podcast. Um, I am a higher education professional uh, by trade. Uh, a lot of my focus has been on diversity and inclusion. Uh, I have worked in higher ed for more than 20 years. And in, the, in those 20 years, I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm a first generation college graduate. So uh, my parents went to college, but they didn't finish college. My mother uh, earned her associate's degree uh, a year before I finished my master's degree. And so all of those experiences have helped shape me. Uh, I come from a large blended family. I'm one of uh, 20 siblings. And then we also had uh, three of our cousins who lived with us growing up. So all of these things help shape who I am. And uh, all of those experiences uh, help me in my work uh, in higher ed, because I can relate to a lot of different students. I can relate to uh, a lot of different experiences. Um, you know, after all these years, I'm a married father of four. I've got two boys and two girls. Uh, my wife and I uh, have been married for 13 years. Uh, we've known each other for, oh, probably 20 plus years. And uh, a unique thing about us is we share the same birthday. My wife is uh, 15 <laughs> minutes older than me. And so, um, I mean, I, I, I've been fortunate. I've worked at a lot of different types of institutions, small liberal arts schools, large public institutions, uh, you know, state institutions. I've worked at a law school. Um, and you see my background. My background here is Practical Diversity Associates. This is my company. Uh, it's a diversity and inclusion training company. We have got a uh, online uh, diversity module, which I'll be launching uh, later on this summer. It's going to be eight different modules that folks can uh, take and really start uh, the diversity conversation within their workplaces, and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be tasked with increasing diversity and inclusion, and I'll tell you a little bit about what that means. The task, uh, it stands for uh, topic, uh, it stands for awareness, it stands for uh, skills, knowledge, and engaged discussion. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm excited to get that going, and I'm going to look forward to sharing that with a lot of folks uh, as the summer wraps up and the timing uh, it really couldn't be better with everything that's going on in the world. So for me, um, you know, my current role, I'm the vice president of student affairs at Clayton State University. Uh, but I've, I've done a lot of work in diversity and inclusion over the years. So that's a little bit about me. And I think more will come out as we have our conversation uh, over the next uh, however many minutes we're going to be here. Um, and, and I'm happy to, to, to share uh, my experiences and to share uh, the knowledge I've been able to to gain over the course of my lifetime. That's incredible. You have certainly done a lot 
in your lifetime to be as young as you are. Um, and you've experienced so many different things that have shaped you. Let's go down the railroad track a little bit. Let's take a rewind and kind of start not all the way to the beginning, but somewhat to the beginning. You talked about you were first uh, generation graduate of higher education. What was that like? Were you always determined to go to college? Did you feel like your parents pushed you? You got 20 siblings. You know, where do you fall in that mix? So I'm actually the fourth oldest, um, the second one to actually graduate with a bachelor's degree. I was the first one to get a master's degree, the first one with a Ph.D., Um, And the reality is we always knew we were going to college. It was never a conversation about what was next or anything like that. So all 20 of us. Competitive, by the way. You said you were the first one to get a PhD, the second one here, the first one here. You sound a little competitive there. Well, you know, I was was an athlete. I was an athlete growing up. I grew up in um, Canton, Ohio. That's the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I played uh, football uh, in high school and I played football in college. And uh, I think that competitive streak, uh, it, it, it never left. So, so, and, and, and at the same time, when you're trying to make sure you eat, you got, you got to compete for food. So you better show up one time and, and use, use a little bit of elbow grease to make sure you get what you need to. <laughs> but no, absolutely. The competitive streak is there. But, but I think for us, we always knew that college was in our, our future. Um, our parents uh, really emphasized education. We used to have uh, report card parties and things like that. If you did well, you got cake and ice cream. Uh, if you didn't do so well, you know, you watch from the sidelines, you would get cake or ice cream, but you didn't get both. So, uh, you know, it was just a part of what we did. I know my mother bought us two sets of encyclopedias growing up. Um, those things helped me out. I was one of those kids. I was kind of selected at an early age to, uh, to be successful academically, even though I didn't um, appreciate that opportunity. I didn't uh, appreciate being bused to a different school from my siblings. I didn't appreciate being singled out. My mother made me go. She said, listen, you're going to go for a year. If you don't like it, you can come back. Fell in love with the opportunity. And so I was involved in that program. And I was the only Black student to graduate from uh, what was called the Canton High Ability Program. Uh, and it was re- it was just really interesting because at the time, I'm not paying attention to the fact that you know I was a part of a social experiment. I wasn't paying attention to the fact that folks had selected me for success even before I realized it. And and I look back now, and one of the reasons I was selected was because of my personality. And my personality was very subdued. Very, I was very introverted, very quiet. My favorite thing to do was read. And it was very different from my classmates and peers who were probably smarter than me, but they just were more boisterous. They were more active than I was. And my uh, my, my, my quiet demeanor helped me to get selected, uh, for a program like this. Um, and, and, and it's so interesting to me because I look at how black boys are being treated in, in schools and, uh, any aggression or any activity is seen as a threat or a negative. And, and I look back and I was like, wow, I was very different in that way. And because of that, you know, I, I may have, you know, slipped under the radar, or got some opportunities that others didn't get because of my, my innate personality. And so all of those things were part of my experience and they helped shape me. Um, and, and, and I didn't even realize it at the time, obviously. It was just something that I look back upon now and realize that folks selected me early for success. And, you know, in some cases you have that survivor's remorse because you look around uh, and other folks who were just as talented didn't have the same opportunities 
And uh, it, it's interesting. And I think for me, uh, my work now is all about making sure that other people have the same opportunities that I have had in order to be uh, successful. Man, there's so many different roads we can go down. Uh, just from that, one in particular is, I think it's so incredibly important that your family actually celebrated educational success. Yeah. I think that a person's success as a kid starts at the home. And we hear that so often in the school system. It's not a, you know, teachers can only do so much yeah. we need help from the parents. We need help from home. What do you think motivated your parents to make education such a big deal for 20 kids? Essentially. Yeah. That's a tough job. Well, no, it is a tough job, but the reality is they, uh, looked at their own experiences as, you know, they went to college, but they didn't graduate. And so they saw, um, you know, the struggles that came from that. They saw the challenges, I think, that came from that. And they wanted to make sure that we didn't have the same challenges that they had. And so I'm grateful for to them for that. Um, and, I, and I don't get to say it enough publicly in terms of giving them credit uh, for our success. Um, you know, growing up, my father, uh, he was a firefighter. And so one of the first black firefighters in Akron, Ohio. And so that was a really unique experience uh, for us going to slide up and down fire poles and seeing that experience firsthand. Um, but, you know, lots of kids to provide for my uh, stepfather. He was a uh, entrepreneur and he was also, um, you know, kind of a local religious leader. And so uh, watching these men, uh, I'm learning from them and absorbing their experiences and, and and really just learning how to be a man. I always talk to a lot of folks and say, I didn't have a lot of mentors when I was little uh, because I had, you know, my father and my stepfather right there for me as examples to watch and examples to see uh, what it was like to be a, a black man who was, who was navigating uh, through our society. So I'm super grateful for that. And again, this was happening and I wasn't cognizant of the mentoring, the learning, the teaching and all that stuff that was happening. Uh, so I'm super grateful for them, to to them and for them. But the reality is my mother was the driving force behind our academic success. She was the one saving up and buying uh, two volumes of encyclopedias. I remember trying to read all those encyclopedias just because it was interesting to me. But she really emphasized uh, learning for us. She was my first teacher. And obviously, I mean, your mother's your first teacher. Um, and, and, and she wasn't, you know, in the school systems or anything like that, but she made sure we were doing our work. She made sure we were ready, knew how to read and do all those things. So, um, you know, I, I, I give a lot of my credit, uh, a lot of the credit for my success academically uh, to my mother. Um, but, you know, personally and professionally, obviously, I learned lots of lessons from my parents. And, um, you know, that, that that's really what helped me. And that emphasis on education was was huge because, you know, you didn't want to be the one coming in and, and messing up the uh, uh, the report card party because, you know, we we look forward to stuff like that. We didn't have uh, a whole lot growing up, you know, not a lot of brand names on food boxes or anything like that. I mean, I remember, you know, spending food stamps and different things like that. I remember that life. And I remember, you know, taking advantage of, uh, of WIC and getting, you know, a carton of of, of eggs and milk and stuff like that delivered on the porch. I remember uh, eating cereal with uh, powdered milk mixed with water and stuff like that. I, I tell my wife and I tell other people about, you know, the stretch method of making Kool-Aid. They're like, what is that? You know, you double up the sugar and you double up the water because you only got the small pack and whatever it is. And so all of those things um, are, are really a part of my journey. And I'm certainly appreciative 
of that. I mean, I mean, you know, I remember, you know, sometimes being embarrassed about the shoes and things that my father gave me. But, you know, I've been working uh, since I was 14. And, and since I was 14, I've been able to buy my own clothes. And so, yeah, I was able to figure out how to manage my money. I was able to figure out what it was like uh, to work. I remember one summer, uh, my summer job was starting late. And so we all went, my stepfather took us, we picked strawberries to earn money. And I mean, we did all of these things and we talked about the emphasis on, on education. We talked about the emphasis on, um, uh, academic success, but we also, my parents also really emphasized, uh, you know, physical strength and physical engagement. I remember, uh, you know, playing football starting in, uh, starting in fourth grade. Uh, I also remember taking Taekwondo for a number of years and, and, and making it to almost uh, the top level, just below a brown belt. Uh, and my brothers and, and us, we all did these things and they were all part of our development. And it wasn't just the physical development. It wasn't just the academic development, but it was also the spiritual development. All of this was a part of who we are. And, um, you know, at the time as a kid, you know, you buck against some things, but uh, as an adult, you know, you're extremely grateful. And I'm like, okay, all of these things are because of um, the sacrifices and the things that that were done for me. So I was super grateful for that. You know, just listening to you, it sounds like you grew up in a personal, spiritual, academic development academy. Of, <laughs> you know, I want to speak to my young parents, especially really all parents of all ages. If you've got children that are young, you know, listen to Dr. Dula's parental dynamics in the household and how important each uh, parent was. The father taught more on the personal development side and giving you life, life lessons and showing you the example of how to be a man in society. And we look at some of the issues present today, and they've always been present, but young males who lack a father in the household generally end up doing, they get tied up in the prison system. They oftentimes don't end up professionally successful in a career. Um, there's just so many things that they're disadvantaged at not having that parental fatherly example in the household. Then you look at your mother and she was that academic success coach, so to speak, or your academic counselor. Right, look, right. I saw some report for every 500 students, there's one academic counselor in the school. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. So if the parents are fulfilling that role, I like to tell people all the time when I'm speaking to educators um, and superintendents is that, a child's or a student's level of academic success rarely exceeds their level of personal development. Mm-hmm. Both are key, and we can't rely on the school system to do it all. Right. You know, being a great parent and, and developing great kids that go out and do wonderful and magnificent things starts at the home, and it starts yes. with you. And if you feel like you lack some of the developmental skill sets to properly um, help them or develop them, I would seek somebody out um, to fill those voids because it's just so crucial for your success. Let's talk about some of your other experiences out in the world. You talked about yourself being an introvert. I'm heavily introverted, but usually introverted people are very observant. Yeah, Um, (laughs) They're very knowledgeable. When they do speak, they say very profound things usually because it's well thought out. I think critical thinking today is just so rare. Um, Nobody has it anymore. We just, look at surface level things and talk about surface level stuff. Well, solutions aren't found on the surface. You've got to dig deep. So talk about some of the experiences you had as a kid outside of the home 
that yeah. prepared you for what you do today? Absolutely. Um, I think I, I was fortunate. I know I was fortunate because uh, I, I think I talked about how my mother just, you know, kind of pushed me out there and made me do things that I didn't necessarily uh, want to do because she knew I needed those experiences. So uh, those were some of the things. One of the things was going to a different school uh, from my siblings. Another thing was she made sure I was in programs. It was a, a summer program called a Strive program at um, the local Kent State Stark campus. And so I was going to a college campus uh, in the summertime when I was, you know, maybe 12, 10, 11 years old. And I wasn't paying attention uh, to the impact, but I was actually in college classrooms and teaching, you know, learning what it was like. I remember, you know, dissecting a uh, uh, a owl pellet or something, you know, and then I put together, you know, a little skeleton of a, of a vole that the owl had eaten and all these things. And I'm just like, wow, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't paying attention at the time to, about the benefits, but I remember I had a chance to meet different students, meet new people that I didn't know, people I didn't go to school with. Um, and, and that was personal development. I mean, we got to go and do some fun things as well, but that was personal development. Uh, and I think the most um, important thing that my mother ever did for me outside of the classroom was she sent me from uh, Ohio to Tuskegee, Alabama on a bus for a summer pre-engineering program. Uh, this was the summer before my senior year in high school. And so being on the HBCU campus, being around lots of smart black kids uh, from all over the country was was a life changer for me because I got so much confidence about my abilities about what I could do and what, it, you know, what it meant to be a, a, a smart person. And, and it just helped me with my identity development. And it also happened to be uh, the same place where I met the person who would, you know, one day become my wife. So, uh, you know, life changing type experiences. That was those those are some of the ones that I that I think about. And um, and, and just listening and, and listening to what you were talking about, the challenges of fathers not being in a home. Um, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't um, acknowledge some of the structural things that that forced black men out of homes. There was all kinds of uh, policies within public housing that didn't allow uh, black men to live with their families. There's all kinds of uh, structural impediments to working and to uh, being involved in, in, in families and in, in their children's lives and things like that. Those things are are, are, are problematic but they were also purposeful in terms of uh, things that were done uh, by the U.S. government. And I think it's important to read some of the history. I just finished um, a book by Richard Rothstein called The Color of Law. And it really just talks about all of the things that the government did from 1877 to, you know, really weaken the structure of black families and weaken the employment opportunities and living opportunities for black folks to the detriment of the country. Uh, we basically undermined uh, the success of the United States because you've got a whole, you know, 14% of your population not able to contribute because of law and because of, of statutes and things like that. So I think it's important to pay attention to some of those things that uh, make it difficult for, for folks to be successful. And I think uh, the more people know about that history and that knowledge and that awareness uh, the better they can feel about themselves and understanding their condition. 
So I think that's important to pay attention to. And I think the other piece you were talking, uh, and it really resonated with me. My wife is a teacher, um, and she uh, is working on a platform called the uh, Our Schools platform that really talks about empowering families to really be engaged with their schools, really be engaged with their students' education. But oftentimes, parents have had really difficult experiences in the school system. So they're scarred from that. And they're like, I'm not going back in there, not even to advocate for my child because nobody advocated for me. Uh, They just didn't know. But the reality is these teachers are people, they're human beings. Once you recognize that, then you approach it very differently. And so I'm excited to to see the work uh, that my wife, Alita, is is working on uh, the schools are or the R schools platform. Um, and, and so it talks about some of those things that you highlighted. So, um, yeah, yeah, the, the, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to continue having this conversation. Again, so many great points. I don't know where to begin. You know, you talked about our conditioning and what the government has done to put us in the predicament that we're in. That's why it's so important for us to have these conversations and also for capable, competent black men who know how to kind of get out of that struggle into mm-hmm you know, get a career that's successful and to live a lifestyle of success, it's, I feel like it's our moral obligation to then go back and you don't have to birth a kid to father somebody, right? It's it's about modeling good behavior and all peer pressure isn't bad. Good peer pressure is good, right? So it's having good peer pressure in our communities for people who don't have any role models or leadership to guide them and mentor them and give them the personal development that a father figure would if they were in the household. So absolutely, you know, it absolutely. truly does take a village to raise kids. It, that's especially true today Yep, because there are so many without a significant part of their development in their life. And we have to fill that gap. Another thing you talked about is your experience going to Tuskegee. I want to be honest with you. You know, your parents always tell you when you're young, you know, you're brilliant, you're smart. You're going to you could be president one day if you want to. I didn't believe it. And I think about how many kids today, minorities who Mm -hmm. would not or do not believe that. I didn't believe that was possible until I Mm -hmm. saw someone of color actually assume the office. And you talked about going to to Tuskegee and seeing other minority males and people who were smart and did things that you like to do. It was a different world, I would imagine, from where Mm -hmm. you were from. What role does your environment play in what you think about yourself and in your own identity development? I mean, it's, it's significant. I remember uh, for me, um, you know, I talked about the balance that, that my parents tried to instill in me. One of the reasons I was able to get away with being, quote unquote, smart was because I was also an athlete. So I had those multiple identities. We talk, I mean, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about uh, the double consciousness. And so, um, you know, that. I had a double consciousness. I was a, I was an athlete, but I was also a scholar. Um, and, and, you know, I wasn't in the same classes as, as many of my peers. I was in different classes. So they would only see me on the bus. So they would see me after school or at practice and things like that. So it was like, I still had a chance uh, to have that connection. And even when I was being bused from a different school, I mean, I still lived in my neighborhood and I knew the folks in the neighborhood. And so I, I was able to have you know, kind of that double consciousness and to understand what was happening. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, being able to go and be successful and have a career. Uh, All of that for me resulted 
from the grounding that my parents instilled in me. I mean, I was able to be myself. I've always been able to be authentic. Once I figured out who I was authentically, uh, you know, I was able to be authentic and just live and exist in that authenticity. And it has never hampered me. And if it has hampered me, it's because it wasn't a place I was meant to be, which is, which is perfectly fine with me. So I've, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, really grateful for those kind of experiences and, and really um, not always conscious of the impact my authenticity has had, but I've never been hurt by being my authentic, true self. And I'm, uh, I'm a firm believer in that. You've got to have a sense of who you are and stay grounded in that sense. And I think you talked about the negative peer pressure and then the changing the environment. Your environment can help you uh, identify who you are and who you will be. Uh, I ended up going to a, a small liberal arts school in Ohio, Wittenberg University, and I was really surrounded by some really good folks, uh, folks who challenged me, folks who uh, made me move into leadership positions. I ended up being uh, the president of our Black Student Union by my senior year. But the only reason I did that is because one of my friends said, hey, you're going to be on this executive board. I need you to serve. And so I did that. He pulled me in. He pulled me up uh, and, and, and said, this is what you're going to do. And you know, I didn't know that was what I was going to do, but I'm I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad that I had someone who had that kind of faith in me. Um, you know, that really helped me. I mean, I got involved in all kinds of things uh, as as an undergraduate student. I worked in the admissions office for four years as my work study job, and that was really what led me to working in higher education. Um, you know, because I realized, oh, there's this, there's a career on the other side of this. It's not just about coming to college to get a career. And I think that's one of the things as a first generation college student, you just don't know the tricks of the trade. You don't know uh, the secrets to navigate. And, um, you know, so many people helped me navigate. That job helped me navigate because I was then uh, recruiting other first generation students and talking about my experience and hearing from them. And it really um, got me invested in other people's success. I wanted to see them be successful. I wanted to see them uh, navigate the process of going to college and, 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 and getting there and graduating. And so I still have so many connections to my alma mater because not only was I recruiting for four years as an undergrad, I came back and worked there as a, a professional for about two and a half years. So I've got probably, I don't know, anywhere from about 10 years of people that I know personally from my experience there in my undergrad. And, and those were some of the things that inspired me uh, to do this work and to continue to work in higher education. When I graduated uh, from Wittenberg, I actually moved to Atlanta, worked at a university uh, down here. That was my first experience, my first professional job. I tell people all the time, uh, my salary was $19,000 a year. Um, that sounds like nothing, but first generation, coming out of college, I'm on salary. You know, I, I didn't have much expenses, so I was good. I was loving it. And that was that was the beginning for me. And um, Certainly appreciated that. And from that time, from my time as a recruiter back at my alma mater, I ended up going to graduate school at Ohio State. I spent two years uh, in the master's program there, and then I was hired for two years, and I worked in uh, the Multicultural Center. I had a graduate assistantship as a, uh, as a graduate student in the Multicultural Center as it was just beginning. So I got some on-the-job training, some professional development, and all of that really helped me with my diversity and inclusion work and, and, and helped me understand the path forward. But for me, um, the most significant experience that I got at Ohio State 
um, was really just the opportunity to study abroad. I spent a summer uh, in Europe uh, between my first my first year of my master's and second year of my master's program. Spent a summer there, and it was just you know it was it was it was life changing because I got to see the world um, through different eyes. I got to see the world from a different perspective, and so. Right before I started graduate school, I spent uh, I spent about two weeks in the Dominican Republic uh, with my best friend growing up, and so that was my you know my first time really out of the country, and it was just so different because I'm down in the Dominican Republic, and everyone there thought I was Dominican. So when I told them, uh, you know, soy de los Estados Unidos, uh, they didn't believe me because okay, okay, it sounds like you have a you got a Dominican accent and you speak in Spanish you're not American. Why are you lying? Mentirosa. And I'm like, no, I'm from the U.S. But I mean, again, this was my first real experience in understanding um, how differently we are seen around the world. And then just a summer in Europe, traveling to Paris, um, going to Amsterdam, going up to Scotland, um, you know, being in London and being in uh, uh, Northern England. All of this was just, it was just amazing to me. I'm meeting people from other parts of the world, a young Nigerian uh, lady, she was like, okay, what tribe are you from uh, in Nigeria? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm from the United States. And she was like, you sure you got this? And, and, and I was just like, I I couldn't tell yeah. you, but it was just those kind of experiences. And then, um, you know, just being seen as you American. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a black man. And they're like, you American. <laughs> and, it, and it's so interesting because you don't see uh, those perspectives until other folks share them with you. And it was just, it was just interesting. I'm walking down the street and people are like, oh, I can tell you're American. And I'm like, how can you tell? Like, well, you're larger than a lot of folks <laughs> and you got your shirt tucked in. So, I mean, just, just fashion yeah. and stuff like that. But I mean, it was just amazing to go and see, um, you know, these world uh, renowned locations, you know, to, to, to go up and down the Eiffel Tower, to, walk up and down the Champs-Élysées to go see La Jaconde, Mona Lisa in the Louvre. And, uh, you know, all this stuff was just amazing to me. And then my second year in grad school, I actually spent about 10 days in Egypt. And so, again, just life-altering, first time on the continent of Africa, amazing welcome from the people. And it was it was just, I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, I'm climbing up and down uh, uh, the, the pyramids and I, come around the corner and the great Sphinx rises up right there in front of me. I mean, this was just like, man, this is, this is amazing. And all of those kind of life experiences um, kind of helped shape and propel me. Um, and, and at the same time, I was still engaged in some leadership development. I was the president of our black graduates, uh, black graduate uh, and professional student caucus at Ohio state. I was also on uh, the student government association as a graduate representative um, and, and again, just all of these things helped to shape me, helped me to get the experience um, and to get the confidence and, and really just the knowledge and the awareness and the skills uh, to navigate multiple platforms. So, um, again, just grateful and lots of lots of good people surrounded and encouraged me. Um, that, I think, was my my best uh, my best decision. Uh, not necessarily conscious decision, but my best decisions were choosing good friends and selecting good friendships because those were the folks who both challenged and supported me. I ended up going to graduate school because my roommate, who was my frat brother, he and I were watching Sports Center after work one day, 
And he looked at me, he was like, man, this ain't it. This is not it. We got to do more. And I said, what are we going to do? He was like, let's go. I mean, let's go to grad school. So he went and got his MBA while I was working on my master's uh, in higher education and student affairs at Ohio State. Um, undergrad, I was a business major. And I'll tell you what was, was odd. I was a business major only because I thought, hey, with a business degree, I can get a job. Plus, I had a scholarship that said mm-hmm. I had to major in business. Um, but the reality is my strengths were in other areas. But I, you know, I didn't know. Any, I didn't know anything about choosing the right area, but once I got to grad school, it was an area I chose, an area I appreciated and loved, and it was it was it was amazing for me because um, it uh, it allowed me to thrive and it allowed me to be uh, my best self academically and personally and professionally. So all of these things, but I think again that best decision was choosing good friends because you choose good friends. Um, you know, the sky is the limit. That is so key. If there's anything that anybody should write down immediately is you're the sum of the five people you hang out with the most. And if you mm-hmm. surround yourself with drains, as I like to call them, <laughs> your life won't go anywhere. You have to surround yourself with elevators, people who elevate yes. you in every aspect of your life, school, life, career, all that stuff. And we have to take an assessment and be honest with ourselves. Are the people that I'm surrounding myself with on a daily basis actually pushing me, motivating me, driving me to be better, to do more, um, to make a positive impact in my community? And, you know, the hard answer is most of the time that answer will be no. And we have to self-reflect and distance ourselves in a nice way because you got to think life is short. We're all meant here to do something. And, if you're not hanging with the right people, you won't figure out one, what you were meant to do. And two, you won't figure out how to do it and how to get it done. So hanging with those right people is just so important in everybody's success and what they need to do. You know, to wrap this up, what are some things or some takeaways? If you had to say three things for a young black male in America today to do, what would those three things be? Mm, Oh, three things, three things. Uh, First thing I would say is gain some knowledge of your history. You know, you've got to have some of that, some knowledge of who you are and and, and your space and your role in the United States. Um, Second, I would say um, gain some, gain a passion. What are you passionate about? What do you love? What are you good at? What can you do? And what can you get paid for? I think that's 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 a that's a singular thing. If you can find that sweet spot, you need to look for it. Help people, you know, have people help you out, help you uh, decide and figure that out. Take advantage of, of personality tests and those evaluations that help you figure out what's your best fit. Okay. And then finally, make sure you are grounded spiritually and you believe in something greater than yourself. If you have those things and um, you have that knowledge of self, you have that knowledge of, of, of the, the, something greater than you, and then you also have a knowledge of your space and your role in society and in the history of the world. Um, it gives you such a solid tripod in terms of a foundation that will keep you supported, keep you encouraged, and also keep you uh, just aware. And I think those are some things that can really help you develop your best authentic self. 
And I think without those, um, it makes it difficult to make strong friendships. It makes it difficult to show up every day. It makes it difficult for you to create uh, positions and, and, and perspectives upon which you stand. So uh, those three things, I think, are a solid grounding and foundation uh, for, for our, our, our young Black folks, our young Black men uh, to take advantage of. And to go over them again, a knowledge of your history, um, an understanding of your, your sweet spot, your skills, and a, a, a grounding, a spiritual grounding. Those are the things that I would highlight as uh, essential for success. Conversation Corner family, those are some phenomenal foundational pieces to your own personal success, and I highly recommend you take action today. What separates successful people from people who aren't successful is action. So let's take the action today to implement those things in our everyday lives. Dr. Abdullah, how can we find out more about you and follow what you do? Absolutely. You can go to my website. It's uh, practiv.com. And then you can also follow me on Twitter, Optimist Prime on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but practiv.com and Optimist Prime on Twitter. I'm on all the other social media pieces. So uh, you should be able to find me. It's either Shaq 06 or Shaq 1906 or something like that. So uh, looking forward to engaging with your audience and having some future conversation. And I, again, I appreciate you all for having me on uh, your podcast and uh, looking forward to some future conversations as well. Absolutely. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Conversation Corner family, you have just experienced another audio masterclass with Dr. Abdullah and myself. We are part of your circle and we are going to elevate you. So I will see you guys next time. Thank you again, Dr. Abdullah. Until we meet again. Looking forward to it. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening today. But I need you to do three very important things right now. Number one, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Number two, share this episode with someone who would benefit from it. Number three, go to mission3e.com and make a charitable contribution to support what we do. And always remember, together, we can make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.